Welcome to Arise Esther, a podcast for today's Esthers, women who are ready to rise up with courage and faith like Esther of old, who stepped up to lead when life was tough but faith was fierce. Hi, I'm Dawn Scott Damon, your podcast host. I get to talk to some of the most resilient women on the planet, all who faced trials head on and triumphed. Now we're here to help you do the same. So turn it up, Esther. This is your moment. Hey, everyone. It's so great to be with you again. This is Dawn Damon, your host of the Arise Esther podcast. And today's program is really important. Hey, all of you moms, if you know someone who is raising a teen that is struggling, this is a podcast for you. Make sure that you share it. But first, let me introduce my guest today. I'm extremely excited to have my guest with us. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a speaker, a Bible teacher, an award-winning writer. Her most recent book is Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. Well, she writes and speaks to infuse courage into the soul of the soul weary, but she also writes historical fiction. If you catch her with a dreamy look, she's probably just uh, either wandering by the byways of ancient Britain in her mind or in her imagination, or she's wishing for a cup of coffee, maybe a latte. But she is with us today, living in central New York with her husband, Dan, and her two young adult sons, Please welcome to the Arise Esther program today, Kirsten Panachaita. Hey, Kirsten. Hey, I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you for coming on. And as I said in the the intro here, this is such a timely topic that we're going to be talking about today. My heart is really gripped as we're going to be talking about how to care for your own soul at the same time raising a child with mental illness or caring for a child with mental illness. And there is so much distress in our nation today, but seriously, among young adults, it is absolutely, that's another whole pandemic. It really is, you know, and this was a very serious problem in our society before COVID. Um, you know, even the statistics from before 2020, one in every five young adult between the ages of 13 and 18 was suffering from some kind of mental illness or disorder like anxiety or depression um, or even more serious mental illnesses, bipolar or schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder. Um, and I think we've all read the, the headlines that the pandemic has created a whole other group of kids that are just um, really struggling, especially with anxiety and depression um, that is related to their experiences over the last couple of years. So it's very, it's a huge challenge right now for parents. And, you know, my heart is just, well, I was softened by an experience that I never signed up for. I, I'm part of a club that that no one ever, you know, signs on the dotted line. Hey, I want to, I want to be in that club. Um, my son yes. has bipolar disorder, okay. and he's had it since he was 14, or he started displaying symptoms when he was 14. Um, and so, you know, I've walked this walk, and I my heart really is tender toward these parents, especially the ones who. Um, who were just blindsided by, by these current struggles that their kids are having. 
Absolutely. I want to hear more about that. We're going to unpack this for the listener today, but would you be willing to take us back into that place? Your son is 14. He begins to display symptoms of the bipolar disorder and you're wondering what is happening to my son? What, what's hap- what are you seeing? What are the symptoms? Well, at first we sort of, um, we made the mistake of downplaying his symptoms at first. And, and here's why. Um, he has an older brother who's two years older than him. And when he was 14, he went through this moody stage and he kind of went on this emotional roller coaster and, um, and we rode that out for four or five months. And then he steadied out and became more like the kid that we knew. So when my younger son, Nicholas, started displaying symptoms of depression, um, we're like, oh, we know what this Been is. And they're done that. Yeah, we, we've, seen, we've seen this before. This is the roller coaster. We're going to ride this out. But the thing is, it wasn't a roller coaster for him. It was a downward spiral. Oh. And, um, and it really, I have to say, it really was the Holy Spirit prompting me on one particular night that something deeper was going on. We were having sort of this mm, like a little confrontation. We homeschooled our kids and Nicholas had not done some math assignments and we were mad at him. And so we called him into the room and, and, you know, we're, you know, talking about discussing how, how he had not done these math assignments. And I remember just looking at his face and just knowing that it was something else. I just knew it was. And so, you know, he was kind of standing, he was, he was perched to flee as soon as he could. He was standing by the stairs and I called him over to the couch and I settled him down. I said, is there something else? And he said, yes, there is. Is there something you want to tell us? Yes, there was. And, um, and that was really the, the start of it. By the end of that evening, we found out um, the very first thing we found out that he had been cutting, practicing self-harm, yes. um, which I didn't know anything about at the time. I, you know, I, I knew that it was out there sort of, but um, I didn't know why people did it. Or I certainly never thought that a boy who was raised in a very stable environment would want to do that. I, I didn't understand at all. Um, and so that was the first crash course. But, um, but as we you know, you know, got him help and sort of un- started unpacking that, we discovered that he was in this very deep depression, um, suicidal. And, you know, he eventually ended up in the hospital. And that was, you know, that was the very beginning. We call them the crisis years because it was just crisis upon crisis. He was hospitalized five times over the next two years. Um, he just had this unrelenting suicidal ideation. It was just torturous for him. Um, Mm. I want to, I want to throw this out right now. I'm going to take a little tangent. And I just want to say that Nicholas, um, has given me permission to tell his story. And I think it's really important to just say that because I don't want people to think I'm being disrespectful. He, he's very brave and very transparent and, um, has always given me full permission to talk about his story. And I just thank him so much for that, but I want to let people know. Thank you for sharing that. That's wonderful. And if Nicholas happens to listen to this, I just want to also say to him, we're so proud of you, Nicholas. And I can only imagine having seen it, the battle. And so God bless you. Thank you for letting your story be told so that others can 
find the courage that you found to tell, to share, to open up, right? So we find out that cutting is a very classic symptom. And now he's been hospitalized five different times throughout two years. This young man, you're fighting for his life. Yes. And he's got to be feeling exhausted and you have to be feeling exhausted. So pick up the story for us. Yes. Um, and you know, that's, that's a really good point for you to make is that, you know, Nicholas, he won that battle almost every day for years um, to, to do the next thing, to decide to get up in the morning. And there were a few days when he lost the battle. And I do want to say that about people that are struggling with suicidal thoughts and impulses that we want you to know how brave that is to do the next thing. That is such a hard thing. And, you know, I've had um, friends who have died by suicide and I've had friends, children who have died by suicide. Me too. And the, the thing about it is that they, they just lost that one day, you know, yeah. and yeah. it's tragic that, that it had the consequence it did, but I don't want us to lose sight of how much courage it took to live all the other days. Um, and, and that goes for Nicholas too. Yep. That's and, so well said. Oh, I, d- I don't have Kleenex. I didn't know that I was <laughs> crying this early in this podcast, but so true. So yeah. true. It's brave. Like you say, it's the, it's the most courageous thing they can do is face each and every new day. They lost that one day. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but yes. Yeah, so how did you, yeah, pick up the story? How did you go from there? Well. Um, there were for for my husband and me, there were a lot of ups and downs. Um, there were times when we really um, stepped right up to the plate and you know did the right thing. But the thing is, with cumulative stress and crisis, it it just wears you down and wears you down. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, mine came probably the third year into this process with Nicholas, he was actually on the verge of achieving stability, but we didn't know that because there had been other times when we thought he was getting better. Um, but I was, um, I was very, I got very sick from the, the cumulative effects of stress. I got, oh, I, you know, I had double ear infections and I got shingles and um, I blacked out and bashed up my face. My hair was falling out. I mean, it was just like all this autoimmune, like your, yep. your, yep. Just, your system is completely depleted. Yeah, it, it was, it was just oozing out into my physical body, what was going on with me emotionally and spiritually. And I was really um, struggling with my faith. Um, there was, at the time, there was a very serious consideration of sending Nicholas into residential treatment, which would have been a year or maybe two. And I was just devastated by that thought. And um, I really didn't think it was the right fit for him, but his, his, um, his professional team was pushing for us to go in that direction. And honestly, I didn't trust myself at that point. I, I knew that I was sort of an emotional and physical wreck. And I was like, is my judgment even um, trustworthy at this point? I, I don't know what to do. Someone else is going to have to make this decision. But the thing is, I'm his parent. I have to be involved in that decision. And I didn't know, I didn't know which battle to fight. I didn't know whether to fight to keep him home 
or fight to get him into the right place. Um, there, there could be just horrible regrets either way, you know, if the outcome was bad and how would I ever forgive myself if the outcome was bad and I felt like I'd made the wrong decision. I mean, it was just, I was a wreck. And, and I got to this place where I really felt like if God loved me, he wouldn't make me go through this. <laughs> like, why, why could you not just cure Nicholas? You know, I, you say that all things work together for good. And I don't see any way that this can work for good, except if you cure him. You just need to do that. that that's what you need to do. But day upon day, there was no cure. Um, so this so, is hurled you into your own battle of faith. You're contending for your faith, your hope. Your yes. relationship with God is starting to feel the effects of discouragement and disillusionment. Like you're not meeting my expectations of what a God should be doing right now. Yes. You said you loved me. Yeah. You said you did. So what is this about? You know, so how is this love? Right. And I, I almost certainly, if someone had questioned me during this time, I would not have said those things that I just said. I would not have admitted that that was what was going through. But I can tell you that there were nights when I couldn't sleep and I would go down to my kitchen and I'd sit on my filthy kitchen floor and, and that, that's the place that I was in. I was just in this deep pit. And then one night on the kitchen floor, I was thinking through these things and I started to think, how can I escape this? Um, and I started to think, how do people disappear? Like, <laughs> how much money could I get out of the ATM right now? Um, and, you know, how could I book a hotel room or stay somewhere without a credit card? You know, <laughs> and, I, and I was like, no, no, that, that's, that sounds like a lot of work. And then I started, honestly, I started to fantasize about, well, if I really wanted to leave, how could I do that? You know, we have a lot of drugs in the house. Um, that could really make me fall asleep. And it's sub-zero night after night here in central New York where I live. What if I just took a bunch of those and then like went and laid outside, you know? And, and I was like, oh, oh. That's a desperate <laughs> place. Yes. And, and the thing is over the last years with Nicholas, um, you know, I had become very good at doing the assessment with him. Um, you know, do you have a plan? Do you have access to the things you need to have this plan? What are your, you know, all these things. And I looked at that and I was like, wow, if I had to go to the emergency department tonight and answer their questions, I would have to say, yeah, I was, I was formulating a plan. I don't have intent, but I was, you know, that, yes, that, that that's was, the first steps in that parade though. You know, at yeah. the end of the day, if you keep going down that path. So you did a self-assessment and said, Hey, I'm in some serious trouble right now. Yeah. So the next first thing, the next morning I called my doctor. Um, and I, you know, I got medical help for myself. I got mm -hmm. therapy, I got medication. Um, and you know, that, that really helped with the, the physical and emotional things that were going on, um, with me, but I needed spiritual healing too. I really needed to, um, I needed the Holy spirit to come and, and heal my spirit and you. take me. Yes. Restore my, restore the joy of my salvation. And I will say that that happened. I, over the, over the course of the next few months, I went back to something that I had sort of given up, but had always been life giving to me, which is, um, morning Bible prayer and journaling. 
And I just sat there and I went through the motions. And I remember I wrote in my journal, I'm just, I just need to know if this is going to work. I'm, I'm just, if this, this has to work, God, or else I'm just, I'm through. And, but I can't manufacture this. I, I can't make this happen. It's, it's got to be you. It's got to be all you. And he did. At first, I just was enjoying sitting there in the morning with my coffee, you know, <laughs> and, and trying to enjoy the, that moment. But I, you know, I kept, I kept reading and I kept reading about hope and resurrection and um, abundant life and all these things. And if you, if you read the Bible in its, in its wholeness, in its context, all of those things happen in the context of suffering and brokenness. Um, and so I started to see that it's not a question of, you know, God doesn't love me because these things are happening, but God is loving me in the middle of these things. Yes. And, and the, you know, the real breakthrough was, um, I started seeing myself in the middle of this. If I'm in the middle of a circumstance, I cannot escape. And actually that's where the, the title of the book comes from. It's from Psalm 57. It says, my soul is among lions. I must lie down amongst those who breathe forth fire. And so I, I saw this, I, I couldn't make these, these things that were coming against me, the discouragement and the disillusionment and the resentment, all these things were coming against my soul. And I, I couldn't push them away. I was in that circumstance. I was Nicholas's mom. I was there for the long haul. Um, and what I discovered is that God ministers to you there in the yes. middle. Amen. Um, he doesn't necessarily pluck you out, but he meets you there. Right, and that, that, and that is, that's everything. That that is what gives us hope and life and joy. Um, I woke up one morning and I was kind of lying in bed, and I'd been doing my reading, doing my reading. I was almost at the end of the Gospel of John, and I thought, well, what did I read yesterday? What have I got coming up? And I was like, oh, oh, I read about the crucifixion yesterday, and honestly, I I felt my eyes go. Bop! And I thought, I get to read about resurrection today. Yay. And that was, it was, he had done it. That was the joy of my salvation. Back, it was back. And, and he had done the work in my soul that I had told him that he had to do because I couldn't. Um, he was so faithful. So thankful. I can feel the depth of that place that you're talking about. I've personally been in that place at times in my life, but that verse, when you described that, I was going to ask you how you got the title of your book, Among Lions, because it's so intriguing and powerful. Your subtitle, of course, then fighting for faith and finding your rest while parenting a child with mental illness. Can you take us back to that scripture just briefly again and and explain that Psalm 57 to us. What does that mean? I'm a like lie, a lion. Read that again and yeah. break it down for us real quick. Sure. I'm, there's more to it. And I just want to, I don't want to get, the, get it uh, right. I want to get it right. <laughs> yes. So just that verse is my soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue, a sharp sword. Mm. Um, so it's, What's happening there? it's um, well, for, 
the psalm writer, it was actual people that were at war with him and particularly um, his friends, you know, um, people that he had fought with before. And for me, um, those beasts that were coming against me yeah. were um, pieces of what I thought my parenting journey was supposed to be like um, and how it was now. Um, and, and it, you know, it had all turned on me and it felt like I was, it felt like I was being threatened by vicious beasts. Yes. Um, the Mocked rest of them criticized and yes, tempted yes. and tortured. Yes. Threatened. And, you know, that's interesting. You say tortured because one of the things that was very, you know, that I really had to work with the therapist about was, um, uh, the imagery that would go through my head because, um, you know, I took care of Nicholas. I bandaged his wounds. I saw what, he, you know, he did to himself. I was the one who went, I mean, my husband was very involved. I don't mean to say that he wasn't, yeah. he was a great partner. Um, but I was the one that went to most of the appointments and heard most of the awful things. Um, and it, it was like torture. It was, you know, something that stuck with me. And then I had things that I imagined um, because Nicholas did make um, attempts and thank God they failed, but I heard the details of it. And so then mm. I have a vivid imagination. Oh, yeah. Those, it would run through my, my mind like a movie, what it would have been like. Um, I want to read more of Psalm 57 because that is, you know, a little bit later in the Psalm, but the Psalm begins by saying, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Mm -hmm. I will cry to God most high to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. And then it says, my soul is among lions. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was so meaningful to me was, you know, in some places in the Psalms, it talks about deliverance. This one really doesn't. This one talks about how he is sending forth his, his faithfulness and his loving kindness to where you, you are. sustain you. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I learned that, when I learned that I could be ministered to right where I was, that was the turning point for me. And that is, that's really what I want to communicate to parents who are really in the heart of it. Because there's this thought, there's this lying thought that says, I can't survive this if I can't escape this. And it's not necessarily true that our soul can be cared for and restored and, um, and loved by God, even in an inescapable circumstance. Yes. Yes. So, so true. Now you said Nicholas was very close to a place of stability when you hit rock bottom, you didn't know how close he was. Give us the good news. Or the good is news. there good news? <laughs> no, there is good news. Um, well, Nicholas has bipolar disorder and he, that's a chronic condition. He will have to manage that his whole life. Mm -hmm. um, but he's had a couple setbacks since those crisis years, but nothing to the degree as before. Um, he learned 
he went through a, we all, our family went through a course of dialectical behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. the 20 week course that was hugely helpful to him. We found a medication regimen that works for him. Um, one of the things that was the problem was he had this depression that was untreatable, um, would not respond to medication um, or therapy, just talk therapy by itself. And it wasn't until um, he had gone through some puberty and gone through, you know, um, some other, you know, just the, the medication things. experimentation is very difficult with yeah. mental illness. Yeah. Um, but we hit on a, a cocktail that's, it's, um, it's more bipolar um, related. And so when that made him better, we're like, oh, maybe this isn't major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. And then when he did sort of stabilize, we started to see the, the, the you know, traditional mood swings. Okay. Um, but I will say for, for teens, um, and I'm not a, a mental health professional, so I'm not, I don't want to give any kind of diagnostic, you know, information, but yes. for teens, sometimes bipolar presents first as a long untreatable depression. And that was what was true in his case. Um, so, so he did, you know, he, we, we just, we hit on the right medications and he, learned a lot of coping skills and therapy that worked for him and he got better you know um he graduated high school on time which I couldn't believe you know I used to run out not run out but I would remove myself on those Sundays it was senior Sunday at church and they would put up the slides of all the seniors who were graduating and what they were doing next and and during his high school years um I I couldn't I couldn't watch because it just I was sure that he was not going to survive that long. Mm -hmm. And, um, but he did, he graduated high school on time. He went on to get an associate's degree um, through, you know, ups and downs and backs and forths with college. Uh, he is now, he works a full-time job. He's getting married in a few weeks. That's wonderful. Um, so he, yeah, he's living a full Praise life. Um, and, and he still loves God, which is... And Everything. His faith is intact, and that's such a huge thing. And then just, I imagine, to embrace the fact that this is how I am. This is, right. you know, unless God chooses some time down the road to bring healing to me, ultimate healing. But I'm still, you know, praise God for medication. I'm so thankful for that and the stability that he has. He's able to serve God and live a full life. And yeah. aren't we so thankful for that? But he's embracing, like, this is who I am. Right. And, right. And, and we have, we have to do that at some point in our life and just say, you know, God, you're sovereign. I believe in your healing ultimately, but today I have bipolar disorder and I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to live my life to the fullest and I'm going right. to give the world my full potential and I'm not going to back up from it. And, you know, it's like anything, it, it can be a drag. If you hit my, my mom has had diabetes since her, um, her early adulthood and it's a drag, you know, she has to sure. watch, you know, she has to do her blood tests and her insulin. And, you know, it's, it's something yeah. she has to manage all her life. And, you know, so it's, yeah, one would wish that we didn't have to deal with these things, but they're, they're here in our broken world and, in our broken and world. God, God works in our, in our weakness. Yes. So for myself, well, I already gave you kind of the victory story of, of me and, and how God worked in me, um, but I'm doing okay too. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. I, I mean, you know, 
there's a lot of dangers for the caretakers, parents of children with mental illness, your own personal breakdown, if you will, or your, your catalytic moment of recognizing I'm spent. I mean, because, because mental illness, it affects the entire family, the whole family system. Are there other dangers as well? Or what kind of counselor advice could you give a family that's going through this? Um, The first thing that I would um, tell a parent is please try to just keep, keep an eye on how you are doing. You know, if, if you're having physical symptoms of illness, pay attention to that because the, the hormone release that stress causes in us, it over the long haul is very damaging to our physical bodies. And so that is a sign that, that something needs to happen. And it's okay. In fact, it would be great if you got um, counseling for yourself um, to talk through these things. My husband and I had to do some marriage counseling. Sure, it affected your um, marriage, I'm sure. It did. Um, and so that it's really important to remember that each person, each individual on this earth has a precious soul, a soul that is loved by God. And yes, as the parent, it's appropriate for us to, um, to pour out for our children. Uh, it, of course it is that God has given us that stewardship. Um, but we need to remember that God loves our souls too and wants us to take care of them, um, wants to be in a place, wants us to be in a place where he can minister to us. Um, so that mindset is really, really important to remember that, that you have a precious soul too, that God loves. And it's, it's worthwhile to take care of that. Um, so that, that mindset shift is the first thing that I would say. And then the second thing I would say is monitor your own symptoms, um, monitor your physical symptoms, monitor your, your emotional health. The thing about this is, I, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, you should go to a counselor. I know you, you are going to four counseling appointments a week anyway. You know, you, you have all this extra, you know, how can you do one more thing? I don't want to do one more thing, you know, um, it's so important. It's so important to do that and to find support. Um, there are there are support groups out there that are faith based, which you know you can tap into. Yes. Some of them are virtual. Um, yes, it's and you can't underestimate the need for that support. You might think you're doing okay. I'm not sure if you saw the the slippery slope that you were going down, or if it was all of a sudden one day you said, "I'm." I'm done. Like it can turn on you very quickly. You think you're strong. And then one morning you're like, I'm not right. Right. Well, for me, I I knew that I was disintegrating, (laughs) but, but I, I felt like I didn't have the energy to take care of it. Um, until the day came when I was like, if I don't take care of this, there won't be a me. Right. Right. Um, It's important for us to, um, to go back to the basics of our faith, that, that God loves us and that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And sometimes the, you know, all you can say, you can't even say I'm hanging in there anymore. You know, just say God's hanging on to me. And that's enough to not beat yourself up over that. Um, it's, it's okay to let things go. You know, that I, I mentioned my kitchen, my dirty kitchen floor. 
that wasn't a joke. That, <laughs> you know, um, of course, it would be nice if you had, you know, a calm, clean environment. But, you know, don't beat yourself up if that yeah. doesn't happen that week. Um, it's for me, it was super helpful to have things in place that were um, preparation. For example, I had um, I had bags pre-packed for myself and for Nicholas in case he needed to go to the hospital. Then I didn't have to think about that. I had um, a folder that had everything that I needed, insurance information, um, his log of past medications that we'd tried, um, names and phone numbers of my, my prayer support partners, um, something you can just grab to have. Um, so having like little kits like that is really important. When he started going for longer times to the hospital, I had a hotel kit that I put together. It had like a pretty mug so that I didn't have to drink out of paper cups in my hotel room. <laughs> Some so stuff like that. But, yes. but it really made a difference for me um, in being able to cope with, with what was going on, to, to have things in place ahead of time. So, I mean, those are sort of the, the comfort items, but also things like have a safety plan written down so that when the moment of crisis comes, you say, okay, we made a plan for this. We know that we're going to call this person first. Um, I have the directions written down for the emergency department so that I don't have to fumble around, you know, um, are, you know, if it happens in the middle of the night, are we going to go straight to the emergency department? Or what we ended up doing is um, Dan and I would take shifts staying awake um, and, uh, and so that we could spend the night there. So because things that happen in the middle of the night, first of all, you don't get treatment in the middle of the night. Yeah. Again, yeah. I am not, I'm not giving professional advice here. Um, just personal opinion that for us, going somewhere in the middle of the night to the emergency department was not a good plan. Um, obviously safety comes first. Um, if it's really a question of safety, go where you need to go. Yes. Um, but all those practical things, try anything you can think ahead and prepare for. It's like a, it's a gift to your future self, you know? Yes. Wow. It's been an amazing journey. We're so thankful for the outcome and where you are currently the book is called Among Lions, Fighting for Faith and Finding Your Rest While Parenting a Child with Mental Illness. My guest today, Kirsten Panachita, thank you so much for being with us on Arise, Esther. I'm sure your book is now available. How can we get it? Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can also do a search for it uh, um, at other bookstores. If you, know, if you went to Barnes & Noble and put in a search for it, it would come up and you could order it that way. Um, yeah, wonderful. And your social media links, is it Kirsten P.com? P.com and Facebook.com forward slash Kirsten. Well, it's Kirsten, but it's spelled Kirsten K-I-R-S-T-E-N Panachita. Thank you so much for being with us. One quick, what is Panachita? Is that? Oh. It's Ukrainian. Ukrainian. And it's actually the name of a certain kind of sung funeral service. So, so like if you look at an obituary, you might see the Panachita will be sung at such and such a place at such and oh. such a time. And we don't know how my husband's family ended up with that name. <laughs> they were probably singers at some point. I hope so. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for being with us today on Arise, Esther, sharing your very personal story. Ev, some tragedy, trial, testing, ultimately triumph. We're so thankful that you were here today. And we'll keep you in our prayers along with Nicholas. Keep on going. We're proud of you. And I have a question for all you who are listening today. Is this your moment, modern day Esther, for you to arise? I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And hey, if you've not done so yet, why don't you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss another episode. Or you can visit us at AriseEsther.com. And while you're there, make sure you join the movement. Visit us today to get connected. For more information about me, Dawn Damon, visit DawnDamon.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for a free breakthrough strategy session. Until we meet again, keep rising. This is your moment.